Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, folks, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. Hi, Kim. How are you today? Hi, Grant. I'm very well. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, not too bad. And quite keen to hear the uh, the topics that we have for today's uh, discussion. I know. So, I mean, I know that people don't necessarily listen to the podcast chronologically, uh, Grant, uh, but if they have been, we've been looking at a number of, um, the last couple of episodes have really been looking at um, some some of those big picture intangibles uh, like innovation or leadership and we're coming back today. We're looking at that concept of industry really moving forward and research and advancement, but we're looking at it with a real practical angle. And so we're going to talk about sustainable packaging, which you can only talk about it in terms of a revolution, but also the role within that of AI and computer vision. We have two guests with us today. Um, Matatsa Nasir is the market product manager from SIC Sensors. SIC uh, provides sensor intelligence solutions uh, to a whole host of companies and industries in Australia and around the world. It was founded in the late 1940s and 1946, and it has more than 10,000 employees around the world. We're also joined by Hugh Donnelly, who's the Managing Director of FPC Food Plastics. FPC Food Plastics has uh, been around since 1999 and has expertise in uh, blow moulding and industry experience across food processing and uh, has been at the forefront of food packaging and it'll be great to get his insights but also how a company like FPC Food Plastics works with a company uh, like Six Sensors to really, you know, meet growing consumer demand for sustainable and recyclable products. Welcome to both of you. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having us. Hugh, let's start with you. Just give us a bit of a background about uh, yourself and how and why you started FPC Food Plastics and then uh, uh, some of the big changes you've seen uh, since 1999. Okay, thanks, Kim. Um, So, yeah, look, my personal background is I I did an apprenticeship as an electrician after I left school, worked primarily um, on equipment that was installed or commissioned in in dairy factories, so um, machinery that uh, packed uh, milk into milk cartons, case packers, so for putting the milk cartons into crates and um, conveying systems. Uh, After that, we... uh, my father and a colleague of ours started a business where we were selling food processing equipment, so uh, equipment to specifically process milk and fruit juice and that type of thing. Um, and that led to opportunities um, in the blow moulding industry in the late uh, uh, 1980s. And uh, we started selling and commissioning blow moulding machines specifically. Uh, a lot of people may not know that a lot of the larger dairy companies around the world manufacture, if not all, a a significant volume of their own milk bottles in Australia in particular, two and three litre bottles. Um, So we would uh, import these machines from America, install them in places like uh, Bendigo, Wagga Wagga, you know, um, some in New Zealand, in Perth, in Thailand, um, and these companies we would sell the machines to would manufacture their own milk bottles. 
Um, and so we, we did that. And as a matter of fact, we still do a little bit of that today. We're still um, involved with that US company um, where we supply a lot of spare parts to their uh, to the dairy companies for their blow moulding machines. Um, and in late um, the late 90s, we saw a requirement for, um, I guess, a, a company that was a bit smaller than the majors that uh, – uh, was uh, people were acquiring uh, packaging, specifically, again, bottles for milk and fruit juice and food service containers. So in, as you said, in 1999, we started FPC Food Plastics, a small little factory in Tullamarine, uh, probably had about six or seven employees then. Over the last 20, nearly 21 years, we've grown to um, about 65 employees. We run 24 hours a day, six days a week. Um, we produce just north of 400 million parts per year. So it's a combination of caps and bottles. Um, and we primarily supply uh, milk uh, containers, everything from 300 mil up to five litre. Um, and for products, milk, fruit juice, cream, flavoured milk, um, and that type of uh, any sort of liquid product. Mutatsa, you're an expert in machine vision artificial intelligence and code reading solutions for the food and beverage industry. How did you end up there? Well, yeah, first of all, Kim, thank you for having me. Uh, so I joined SIC back in 2017. I was uh, uh, I started off in a sales role and then I progressed into an application engineer with my background uh, as a mechatronics engineer and I also do have a master's in manufacturing. Uh, and after spending a year, uh, there was an opportunity uh, for a product management position within our company where uh, they were looking for someone who could take the lead on machine vision, uh, code identification and AI solutions for the industry. Uh, and I thought that this was a great opportunity for me to apply my skills, what I've learned back in my university, as well as uh, been working as an application engineer. So I've applied for that position and then I've been product manager for the last two years now. Talk to me about machine vision. What does that actually mean? So uh, machine vision is basically giving the camera the ability to not only take an image, but analyze the image according to what a user would specify it for. So there are many examples. Uh, for instance, I'll just start off with a simple one is if you take an image and uh, you want to, uh, you want a camera to notify you every time it sees the color red uh, in a specific size or shape, uh, that could be a very simple machine vision task. So this is just me putting it really simple, basic terms. When we go on talking towards more complex side, so SIG offers a wide range of cameras. We have 2D and 3D smart cameras that we provide for the food and beverage industry. And they are for you know different parts of that factory. So this could be inspecting food where we are looking at, uh, let's say, burnt buns, uh, grading fruit qualities, or it could be uh, package, in yeah, package integrity checks, uh, similar to what we are doing with you. Uh, and then uh, we, you know, we would probably go into robot navigation as well, 
where you need to guide a camera uh, or sorry, a robot uh, needs to be guided. Where exactly does it need to pick up a particular product from and keep it back onto it? And finally, uh, I would uh, yeah come towards the track and trace, which is the identification solution. So we know that uh, end-to-end traceability is uh, is growing uh, quite rapidly and the demand for it as well. And uh, with that, there's a lot of compliance checks, both from the government side, but also the consumers are also wanting more transparency on what they're eating. So that's where that's where SIG comes in. Now, yeah, if I, if I were to just give you a quick example of uh, a machine vision solution that we just recently installed, and this was uh, in, a, in a peanut butter uh, production facility. And uh, what they were doing was that they had the, these glass jars, and sometimes the, the lid uh, or, the, or the edge of the glass jar would break, and that would cause a safety hazard because if you would... Uh, yeah, if you would fill the peanut butters into the glass jar where there's a broken piece of glass, uh, that is definitely some concern. So the way that we solved that was by using our uh, 2D inspector cameras to do a 360 inspection of the jar. And uh, we were able to uh, quite easily uh, pick that uh, defect up and uh, reject it. Um, similarly, you could also use a 3D camera. So the 3D cameras come in when you have got uh, height information or when height information is required. And uh, again, a very quick example for that is uh, when we have got these uh, safety buttons uh, within the jars that actually get sucked in whenever you are packing uh, packing any type of material. So if let's say that 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 safety button is lifted up, it means that you should not use the product because the seal integrity has been broken. Uh, and that is something that our cameras can check. And this is the kind of resolution that they can go to. So, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's what we talk about when we, when we talk about machine vision and their kind of applications. Now, with the FPC food plastics, we are working on a number of projects with them as well. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you explain on some of their processes and what, uh, whatnot, but, uh, uh, we have been, uh, providing them with some solutions. And, uh, there's currently a camera system that is installed there as well. Yeah, so Hugh, you've been, um, you know, running this, running your business for, as you were saying, you know, more almost twenty one years. The change, obviously, surely from from back then to now, there mu- there must be things like, I mean, was mes- machine vision around back in around two thousand? No, not really. I mean, you you had sensors that could uh, potentially measure things or or see bits and pieces, but the 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 types of vision systems available today weren't available. Um, so I, I guess you know the the thing that we're seeing, uh, we've seen uh, incrementally change year on year is obviously the expectation from our customers who are the manufacturer, which is a lot of that expectation is driven by the retailers and and the consumer, and that those expectations are around uh, quality. Um, and food safety, obviously food safety has been, there's been a massive change in, in I want to say change, the, uh, the expectations of what is um, required from a food safety point of view is, is I think, you know, one of the things that's significantly changed and got uh, more difficult. Um, and look, you know, at the end of the day, it's a good thing. It puts a lot of pressure on manufacturers, obviously. But but uh, you know, at the end of the day, we don't want anyone to uh, have any issues from a health perspective. So I mean, and and I think too that the the, um, the amount of um, work that goes around allergen detection today, you know, 
back when I was a kid when dinosaurs were around. Um, you know, the allergens, allergens didn't seem to be an issue. Um, maybe they were, but I don't remember anyone having allergies, allergic reactions like they do today. So, I mean, you know, we, um, you know, food safety has been a part of our, our life because, again, my background's probably more as much food packaging and, and food processing, so I come from that uh expectation of you know that uh, is required for food processing and food handling um but the the allergen side of it adds another layer to it you know and we, we are you know now expecting our suppliers who supply us with raw materials and packaging that they have systems to uh, ensure there's no allergens that come through in their packaging or the, or the raw materials that we buy. So then we have that expectation on us that when we process something and turn it into a bottle or a cap, that you know we have processes and procedures in place to to uh, ensure that that doesn't happen at FPC as well. So, um, and then the other thing too is that you know we are obviously a packaging supplier and manufacturer, but you know the expectations from uh, the industry is that we are really being treated now as a food manufacturer. So, you know, when you come into our factory, there's certain hygiene expectations, uh, you know, we, no jewellery, no watches, hair nets, um, sanitising of hands, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's probably the biggest change as well is that, you know, we are being looked at as part of the food manufacturing process, not just as a person that supplies a bottle or a bit of packaging. So they're probably the biggest things that have come forward. And I think that's that's one of the biggest uh, things that that sort of we report on and and see as well is that that the traceability of a product or a consumer demand for you know a, a product that that has is meeting their various ethical requirements or preferences that this is not actually just about the product in inside the packaging. This is as much about. Um, not just even the package, but how the package was made, and that those components. So, it must be fascinating for you to have to have started, you know, with you know working in those dairies to to now where exactly you're having um, hairnets and and hygiene stations and and all the rest. So, talk to me then about how the connection between you and Six started. What sort of prompted that? How did it come about? Uh, so we, um, I guess, just if, if I do a little bit of explanation. So, I mean, we have um, certain uh, pieces of equipment that we do have um, that come from uh, the manufacturer with, with some uh, vision on them. But most of our equipment doesn't have vision. And, and I guess one of the things we, we spend a lot of time and effort on is root cause analysis. So we spend a lot of our time finding why, if there is a fault or a, a quality issue, you know, really diving deep into find out where that quality issue originated from and then how do we put procedures, processes or make changes to, to make sure that that doesn't happen again. We see the vision um, part or the detection part as a, a second phase to that. So it, it helps us highlight it, but we don't use vision to inspect out faulty parts. We use, it, we use vision to alert us that there's a problem so then we can go and fix the root cause. So having said that, when we when we um, we had a, a bit of a unique uh, issue uh, where we we asked SICK to come in and help us, it, it, is that we have um, some equipment where we do run colours 
sometimes and then non-coloured bottles other times. And when we change from, a say, a green colour back to what we call natural, um, we have a, a, a cleaning process. We go through and clean out the, all the green parts, if you like, all the re- green material, um, and then we start running the natural tubs. But when, you, when you're talking about colour, um, one grain of colour in 20 kilos of non-coloured material will leave a streak or a mark or, or, or something like that. So even though we spend a lot of time cleaning out our system, there's always and, – and the thing with plastic too, particularly when it's – so we use regrind, so we grind up part of our plastic to reuse. Um, it generates a lot of static and so, and and we also convey it by air. So again, the the material running through a tube or a pipe generates static. So you will always get a little bit of hang up or a little bit of material that hides in a corner somewhere. And then that part of the process was it it, it would release you know randomly or periodically, and it wasn't much as I said, it was literally a gram or two of material. And then we would get um, a colour streak or a colour mark in our bottles. So of course, when the customer saw that. They didn't ask for that. They didn't want it, <laughs> and it's not not within our specifications. So we weren't uh, we weren't supposed to release that. So so and because it was a very random thing, um, it's not something that we could physically check with our operators. And again, like most businesses today, we are trying to automate as much as possible. We we can't and don't want to have a person sitting there staring at one bottle after another going down a conveyor system. So um, yeah, so uh, with assistance with my our electrician and our quality manager, they worked with SICK and we have come up with a solution where we have a, a camera system um, that uh, can easily detect any discoloration um, and allows us to find the fault at our end and doesn't go to the customers, which is really important for us to make sure that we give the customer what they asked for. So does that mean, I mean, obviously, I'm not sure there's many people who would want the job where they just got to sit at a production line and look at each bottle, but is this something that might even then be difficult to see? Like, does this system, is it better than the human eye in terms of being able oh, to pick up yeah. things? Yeah, look, it, <laughs> the human eye is pretty amazing, but you know, I, I think I think yeah. the biggest thing... <laughs> yes, I don't, want, I don't want to talk <laughs> no. the human down. But, you know. <laughs> That's right. Well, sometimes we deserve it. <laughs> I know. Um, no, look... Uh, <laughs> Anything that's repetitious like that is, you know, it's impossible to to, to vet out 100% by the human eye. But I, I think, and again, I, I'm not the expert on the cameras, but, you know, the cameras can find things that um, the, the human eye can't. And, and I think the the systems that SICA provide are, are very, very intuitive. And, 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 you know, from what I understand, and I'm not the technical expert, as I said, but, uh, you know, there's a... A great deal of flexibility because one of the, one of the reasons um, when my staff put the capex up to me to to look at this is that you know if um, at a later date we want to use this system on another part of our equipment, um, it's fairly easy to change and to change the program, change what we're looking for. So we could be looking for colour this time, or we could be looking for some other form of issue at another stage. So that was one of the big positives for me was it's not just spend the money, sit it there and, and not be able to use it for anything else, um, to have that flexibility and the ability to, or, or even on the same line, program it to um, you know, find other faults or other other uh, things we're looking for. Machat, so when we're talking about these problems that the machine vision can find, 
uh, you you talked about the the jars where they you know there might be a process where when they're putting the lid on that the glass gets cracked or and Hughes talked about the coloration problems. Um, what are some other typical problems that you know can be within the food and be- food and beverage sector that that you see where this machine vision can really sort of come into play and perform a really valuable role? Uh, so, Kim, with the with food and beverage or any other industries, right? There are uh, definitely a lot of implications that we come across. Uh, as I mentioned, if, uh, if let's say we uh, we look towards uh, uh, we look towards quality inspection. So, with quality inspection, you know, you have got uh, these uh, uh, these lids that you might be inspecting or having a look at, or it could be checking for any foreign objects inside of a packaging. So, I'll I'll just give you an example. My missus showed me a story where a snake was found in this salad leaf packaging and uh, this is now something that a customer had found in their home and their son was like you know was was trying to open it up and he saw this baby snake inside the packaging Uh, and this has gone through the production line totally missed and uh, nobody has seen it uh, and it's somehow ended up into a bag and then picked up by someone taken to their home and then finally discovered uh, by the kid when it's uh, you know sitting on their uh, kitchen shelf so uh, this is this is what we need to understand is uh, that with machine vision and as you mentioned right it's uh, uh, it's not just about operational efficiencies or uh, you know trying to trying to cut costs there which it definitely does play a huge role in but it's more about brand image and I, I and I see that's what Hugh and uh, and his team is trying to achieve is to ensure that there's no complaints coming in from the customer side uh, you don't because it, what happens typically is that if you don't have a machine vision system you would normally be doing sampling which is like taking out a product every 30 minutes or an hour uh, and checking the product and the labeling if it's all right now now imagine if there is a fault uh, or sometimes you might miss a couple of products uh, and then it goes back to normal. So that product that you actually missed inspecting, uh, that's not going to end up on the shelf uh, and then bought by someone. And in this case, uh, I, w- I won't imagine these people going back and trying to buy the same uh, salad bag leaves in the future. So so this is this is where, again, when I was uh, talking to you about uh, machine vision, I, I forgot to mention about our uh, new tools, which are the AI, uh, artificial intelligence tools. Uh, so what, what SIC has done is, uh, as you mentioned, we, we have always been trying to give customers the flexibility on, you know, using a single camera for different or multiple applications. Now, when I say that, what we have done is we have gone or we have moved from uh, configurable cameras to uh, programmable cameras, which means that it allows uh, customers a higher degree of customization. And with that as well, uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of going one step forward, we have introduced artificial intelligence and deep learning algorithms uh, and tools. So what that means is that now uh, you could, uh, in in this case where there was a foreign object, uh, a, a system that was that was using artificial artificial intelligent. Uh, tools would have been very easily able to pick up any foreign objects and would have been easily noticeable for it to know that okay this particular uh, I this particular thing that I see it, it might not exactly know what it is but it would understand that this pattern is not correct and this pattern is something or this color that I'm seeing it's a dark black color uh, this is not correct so just it's, it's a based of uh, it's a combination that comes with a different sort of 
different different sort of tools that combine together and create something. So I'll just give off one final example, which is with the cereals. So if you've got cereals and you look at cereals, uh, most of the times, uh, if, if it's the same company producing it, uh, you would see that uh, you know some of them uh, with some of the cereals, there is uh, often often there is the same ingredients, but it's in a different ratio. Uh, and for for a simple yeah, so that is actually a complex application. If you would want a human eye, uh, or sorry, a, a simple machine vision uh, camera to look at it, uh, it would it would be a, a difficult uh, task to for it to do it. But if you would uh, leave the artificial intelligence system and you would feed images to it, it would very easily pick those images up and then classify them based on, uh, you know, what are the parameters that you have set for it. So you'll say that this is one set of images, this is serial A, this is the second set of images, serial B, and then serial C. And then based on that, whenever you present to it uh, a product, it would uh, quite easily tell you that if it's serial A, serial B, or serial C. So you don't really have to do any sort of programming in there. It's uh, yeah, it's just a matter of feeding images uh, to the uh, to the neural network, and it automatically gives you out an output in the future. Hugh, can we just revisit something you said earlier about how you some of your plastics you then crush them up and reuse them? Why? Is that, is that like part of a – is that just part of having a recyclable or recycled component within your bottles or no, talk so, to me about that? So when – when if you use – so we, as uh, you said in the intro, we, we make uh, bottles from two types of plastics. One's PET and one's HDP, high-density polyethylene. When you blow mould a high-density polyethylene bottle um, – the bottle is made with what we call flash. So um, it's a bit hard to explain without a picture. But basically basically it has a top and a tail um, that gets chopped off, okay? So to make the neck finish and to make the handle, if it's a handle bottle, um, and the bottom of the bottle, it has a tail, which is, as the name says, just like a tail. And and that goes through what we call a trimming station or a punching station. Um, and that that cuts or punches those pieces of plastic off. So, and that can be as much as 40% of the total weight of, of that part. So, obviously, that material is expensive. Rather than throw that forty percent away, we have an automatic system that takes that back, granulates it, so big grinders or choppers that chop it up into flakes or chips, and then we have a blending machine that blends the virgin or the new material in with that regrind, and then goes back through the process again. So that 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 is just part of a blow molding process, whether you have flash or, or excess plastic, if you like, um, as part of the manufacturing process of making a bottle. Conversely, PET, PET is a very um, a different material um, and uh, PET is made in two stages. Uh, the first stage is so the neck finish on the bottle where your cap would screw on, so the thread part of the bottle, um, is injection moulded. So injection moulded is squirting plastic into a, a gap between a cavity and a core, so squirting it so you get a, a hollow product. Um, and then uh, that the rest of that uh, shape or preform is a bit like a test tube. So the old test tube you used to have in lab at school, um, but it's got the thread or the finish, the neck finish of the bottle is on the top. You then take that preform and then 
either in the same machine, depending on the machine, or a separate machine, um, you can blow into whatever shape. So if you've got a round 500 mil fruit juice bottle, it blows it into that shape. That process doesn't have any tops and tails. It doesn't have any flash. Um, so that process doesn't need the ground material to be fed back into it. Um, if you're talking recycled material, so that would be um, typically what we call PCR, post-consumer reclaim, or, or material that comes back from the consumer stream. Um, so that goes in your curbside waste, goes to recyclers. Recyclers then send it to a, a, a remanufacturing company. There's a number of them that turn it back into a, um, uh, a material that then we, then we can reprocess um, that part of that part is um, you know that, that, then that just gets blended back in with our material um, and then we can use it um, and that's probably you know I don't know if you want to segue that to to the recycling side of things but it's um, the sustainability piece and we we're saying about what's the difference in the last twenty odd years um, for us in food plastics is I guess particularly the last. I want to say three to four years, but and even the last year is uh, it's ramped up again. Is the the whole discussion around sustainability, and that sustainability piece is uh, very multifaceted. Obviously, the raw material is a big piece of that, but it's not the only um, only thing. Uh, so you know, one of the things that we're really concentrating on is minimising weight. So we were the uh, food plastics was the first company in Australia to. Uh, put into the market a lightweight three-litre milk bottle. Uh, we did that about seven years ago. Um, that bottle is about 20% lighter than the industry standard and is still uh, in the market today. Um, we've probably sold through ourselves and our partners, um, you know, probably nearly on a uh, 500 million or 600 million bottles uh, at, you know, over 10 grams a bottle lighter than the standard. So that's part of it, obviously, is if you use less material in the first place, um, it's less material, it takes less energy. Um, so, that you know, there's some, some good stories in that. Uh, obviously, things like reducing your power consumption where possible, um, uh, less packaging materials, whether that's cardboard, whether that's plastic bags. Um, uh, so the sustainability is a whole circular thing itself. But the big thing that I think Australia is working on at the moment, which we are lacking, is um, the ability to get um, material back to manufacturers like ourselves. Um, so make a circular economy of the plastic. Um, it's been it's been a real struggle. Um, we're pretty close to being able to, to offer some of our customers um, recycled material in our polyethylene bottles. We're already making 100% recycled PET bottles for flavoured milk, um, but uh, polyethylene. There's a couple of manufacturers in Australia putting plant in now or have plant, um, but we're, we're hopeful by Q4 this year we'll have um, uh, recycled material in our milk bottles. Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so fantastic seeing that all develop and, and move as really as sort of quickly as it, as it has been. Matatsa, when you're starting to work with food and beverage manufacturers and like you and you're using these recycled materials, uh, is, there, is there a difference? Is that, some, is that another area where, you know, where SIX sort of comes into play with its sensor systems because, I mean, I don't know if their product integrity is different or they're, so they have to be looked at or examined in a different way 
SIG is committed to sustainably participate in the circular economy. This is one of our key company philosophy. Now, in terms of food and beverage industry, uh, we have different solutions to minimize food waste, reduce packaging waste, uh, minimize weight of packaging materials, and improve packaging material re reusability. For example, our code and object labeling solutions that uh, allow for food manufacturers and retailers to manage expiry date and batch numbers. Similarly, when we talk about in-focus machine vision solution, uh, we have got companies like FPC. Uh, we know they're, they're there to improve recyclability of packaging. Our dimensioning systems allow for company to dimension tiny packaged object. Uh, which reduces over-packaging an object and then in turn reduces waste. And finally, our uh, RFID returnable asset tracking solutions allow best value of returnable packaging investment. Hugh, when you, when you start, um, you said earlier that, that it was um, some of your team who came to you with the capex of, of looking at installing this, um, you know, a, a machine vision sort of system from SIC. I mean, I imagine that for any manufacturer to, to bring a supply, another company in to, to install or to, to do something with your equipment, talk to me about that relationship. I imagine that it's really important that you know, just like your relationship then with, with companies, you know, that you're supplying to that, that say your relationship with SIC has to be, there must be a great level of trust and investment from both of you to ensure that it's actually doing what it's, what it needs to do for your business. Yeah, that's right, Kim. I mean, I, I guess one of the things that, you know, and this is uh, running a, an SME, small to medium enterprise like food plastics is that, you know, we, we have challenges compared to our, our big, big uh, competitors. Most of our competitors are billion dollars plus businesses. So that, that creates a few challenges and, and CapEx is generally one of those challenges because we don't have as deeper pockets. But one, one of the things it does do is that, um, you know, and I guess this is one of the things I just, I'm, you know, most proud of with my team of people is that, you know, we, we honestly, and again, it comes from coming from a, you know, a business owned by two families is that, you know, we, we very much value relationships. Um, most of our equipment suppliers, our resin suppliers, been with, with us for 21 years, um, you know, and, and while they all have to be competitive in the marketplace, um, you know, for us it's about having people that you can trust, people that you can ring up and say, hey, I've got a problem, I need a hand now, um, or, hey, I've got something a bit special, you know, come and talk to me about what, what the potential, you know, <laughs> solutions are for our problem or not even problem, you know, come, have, have our suppliers come to us and say, hey, we've got this new whiz-bang bit of gear, can we put it on your line and try it? You know, it might be something that, you know, um, I, I have companies that I've been dealing with for years will bring a new piece of equipment in and put it in our factory for a month or two for two reasons. One, we can try it, but then, you know, we uh, we don't mind the, given as long as it uh, you know, meets a few criteria. We have people come and look at their equipment in our space. So, you know, we're very big on building long-term relationships because at the end of the day, while dollars matter and, they, they, you know, we all have to make money to survive, but, you know, Having that strong relationship with with our suppliers is extremely important because, as you said, to have a level of trust to bring someone into your to your house, and and say, hey, come come and help us. You know, you've got to have that level of trust. And 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 you know, at the end of the day, we we we're big on big on that um, that relationship piece. That as I said, I think that some businesses really 
get carried away with, you know, going down to the last penny. Um, and as I said, you've got to be competitive. You've got to you've got to fight in the market. You know, uh, the 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 market's a pretty ferocious place at times. Um, but I believe if you look at a medium to long term view of life, um, that building strong relationships is a far better solution than jumping ship just because of price or just because of, uh, you know, other reasons. I think that that's a really, really important reason why we're, we're a pretty successful small to medium business. And, and, you know, some of our customers are the largest dairy companies in Australia. Um, we have long-term relationships with them. We supply millions and millions of parts a year to them. And, um, you know, again, that, that relationship and the trust that comes with that relationship is extremely important. That, um, that seems like a really good place to uh, put a line under the conversation, I think. I always find it so fascinating because I think when people think food and beverage, they just think the products on the shelves and, and, and what they're having for dinner or what their treat is. And uh, the thing that I love about this is is these stories of people like Hugh and Matatsa out there that are actually making this industry and this sector that is one of the largest in Australia really tick and move along and improve and change um, in really thoughtful and clever ways. So, I want to thank you guys for joining us today. It's been uh, really interesting and a real insight into what it's actually like when you're trying to turn out a really high quality product consistently. So, thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kim. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys, and thanks, Kim. That's been a fascinating uh, discussion there and really interesting about sensors, AI, machine vision, quality of packaging, not just the ingredients, all these things. But uh, as Kim said, it's time to call an end to this episode. So uh, with that, thanks to everyone who's joined us for this episode. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative one. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.